All right then. Now to our to close up our topic last week. You see on your table there are a couple of pieces of paper, um, and I meant to talk about this as we discussed the liturgy of the church, and we ended talking about just what we know as the benediction, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. This is from number six. This is what God instructed the priests to say over the people. And it says, when you say this over the people, they will be blessed. This passage is uh, one of the, it has some archaeological importance and heft behind it. Uh, what I have in my hand here is a replica of what is on, on this paper. So if you have this, this piece of paper here, uh, I, got, I received this as a gift. Uh, actually, this year for Christmas, uh, I had known about this, this story for a while, but uh, I, I got this as a gift um, in, my, in my stocking, actually. Um, here is the real thing uh, in this color, this piece of uh, this, this picture here. Uh, here then also this one actually tells you what it, it's the picture, the color picture of this, this piece of silver, uh, this amulet, if you want to call it that. And then next to it, this right here is just the writing. This is what's called what, what this writing here, and I'll, I'll explain this to you here in a second. Uh, this, is, this is more modern Hebrew, okay? The, the writing on this silver scroll, so it's a scroll that was made out of silver. This writing is archaic Hebrew. This would have been, um, you know, the, the Hebrew that was written and read uh, as far back as 600 BC. That's this archaeological find was dated to 600 BC. Now, what is it? So what people would do is they would, as, as they are taught in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, to um, write God's word, keep it on your doorposts, keep it in your possession, put it in a box, put it on your foreheads, right? This teaching that God's word is to ever be before us. And so what this little silver scroll was, was somebody wanted to keep this number six, the benediction. They wanted to have a little scroll and they kept it most likely in a little box that was either tied to like a, their robe or a necklace of some sort or bracelet even, that they would, they would be keeping God's word physically before them, their eyes and their face and with them everywhere they went. This passage then, this scroll, they dated it, like I mentioned, 600 or so BC. So to think that God's people, this benediction was so important to them and such an important part of their life they would get a hammered out piece of silver and then they, they scribed, they chiseled into this silver, this benediction in ancient Aramaic, in ancient Hebrew. So it, it, as you can see, it has changed a little bit to its current more modern Hebraic form. You should be sorry for interrupting me. <laughs> this is what it looked like. And an archaeologist, I'm going to tell you the story of how they found it here in a moment. But can you imagine finding that and being like, oh, this is, 
This is number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. That's what this says here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And so this was something so important. Uh, somebody scribed this on a tiny piece of silver so that they could keep it with them. The story and how they found it was pretty great. I love it. So the, the archaeologist who found it, his name was Gabby. I can't remember his last name. Actually, it was... Yeah, during the opening hymn for Sunday school, I was like, I forgot his last name. Anyway, in the 1970s, Gabby, that's his first name, Dr. Gabby, let's call him that. Uh, Dr. Gabby, he was digging uh, in a certain part outside of Jerusalem in Beth Hinnom, or Tel Hinnom. Uh, uh, or as you can see here, um, where is the, the name of it? Um, Yeah, Hinnom, Ketef Hinnom. Ketef Hinnom is outside of Jerusalem, past the valley, out in the outskirts of it. And this archaeologist was doing some work, some archaeology, and they had, you know, various hobbyists. You know, when you go on an archaeological dig, has anybody ever been on one, like a real one? I'm not talking about looking for diamonds in Arkansas, you know, <laughs> right? You ever done that? You can do that. Apparently they find diamonds. Yeah, did y'all find anything? Okay, well, remember your pastor when you do. <laughs> that when there is an archaeological dig, they have hobbyists that will come. And then they also have what? Barque. Barque. So Gabby Barkai. Um, they, they have hobbyists there. They have volunteers. They have kids that are kind of their little, you know, go-gets, go whatever. What, um, what are those called? Your Gophers. Yeah, thank you. Um, and they also then, they have professional archaeologists. And the professional archaeologist will a lot of times take the hobbyists and he'll, they'll tell them what to look out for. They teach you sort of how to unearth things in a careful manner. And so uh, Gabby Barkai, um, he had one of these kids. And he tells this story, I think it was in, the 19, in 1979. He had one of these kids that was there and he was just into everything. He was a big pain in the Barakai, right? Uh, a big pain in the Gabby. And um, he just, this kid would not leave him alone. It was like a million questions, just this and this and that. And so they're working and, you know, going on these sites. And he, he tells the story. It's great. He's like, I had, I had it up to here. I just wanted to tell the kid to get lost. And so he told the kid, hey, go, uh, you know, go, go look at tomb 24, a tomb, okay? This is where people, after people died, they would put their, bone, their bodies to uh, deteriorate in a catacomb, and then they would gather the bones together, and they would bury the bones together in an ossuary, and this is typical burial for this time. Remember, this is approximately 600 B.C., so you have tombs, and the tombs, you have, they have a, a, a small opening, and you have to climb in, and you kind of go underground, right, where they leave the bodies to decompose. And people would bury trinkets and things with, with their, their loved ones who've died, things that were important to them, kind of like what we do now. We do a little bit of that now. And so things that were valuable or important to them, jewelry, you know, various things like that, they buried that with them. Well, as time goes on and the Middle East, you know, uh, unrest and all these sorts of things, grave robbing, of course, was, was very 
regular and popular. And unfortunately, a lot of the graves, and I mean, just think of how many cemeteries we have, right? That's, I mean, just, I mean, how many thousands of years of dead bodies they, they, they have around there in Jerusalem and in the Middle East. And so, and of course, it's outside of town, right? At, at Tel Hinnom or Beth Hinnom and uh, Katif Hinnom. And grave robbers have decimated most of the graves from that time period. You think, you know, it's been 2,600 years and grave robbers, that's a business. You go into the graves, you break the pottery, you find the jewelry, you take all the stuff and then you go and sell it. Uh, so uh, Gabby, um, he, he sent this kid basically to go pound sand. Hey, go look in this tomb. Go sweep the tomb. He knows there's not going to be anything in there. Not only have grave robbers gone in there, but generations of archaeologists have gone in there. And so the kid, he goes there, and the kid comes running back, and he's pulling on a shirt, pulling on a shirt. And he's like, what is it now? You know, just, you got to hear him tell the story. It's on YouTube. The kid says, huh, look what I found. And it was, it was, it was, I, I can't remember if it was this, this scroll um, or if it was something that was of value. And he said, where did you find this? And the kid was like, well, I was digging around where you told me to go clean. You know, and, and he says, you know, due to this kid's curiosity, he told him just to clean it up. Well, the kids started digging, right? And so what had happened was this grave it had all this, you know, it had all these, these bodies in it and it had their possessions in it. Well, there were a number of seismic um, events before the Tomb Raiders got to it. And parts of the ceiling fell down and actually gave a false floor to this tomb. So as the grave robbers came in there, they poked their head down in there and looked and they said, somebody already got it because it was, all they saw was dirt a fake floor. And so due to this kid's stubbornness and digging, he actually dug under it and started finding things. They, Gabby Barakai claims that this is one of the most influential and most important discoveries of the scriptures that has ever been found because of its age. 600 years before Christ, then as they started digging out this false floor and finding things, and this is the actual size of it. Can you imagine seeing this buried in rubble and saying, that looks important, but it was silver and it was folded up. It was a scroll, so it's a little, it's a little piece of silver that was rolled up, a little scroll, and they unfolded it, and lo and behold, they see this writing on it, and they say, that says Yahweh. And they dusted it off and cleaned it and said, that's number six. So this is, this is the oldest historical archaeological find of the Bible that we've ever found. So this is 600 years before Christ, and it's number six. So as you see on this paper, they found a couple other scrolls. Um, there's, they actually found two that, that I could find pictures of, two scrolls uh, that, that have some writing on them. Uh, scroll one measured one inch by four inches, and it says, Yahweh, the great who keeps the covenant and gracious toward those who love him and those who keep his commandments. The eternal blessing more than any snare and more than evil for redemption is in him for Yahweh is our restorer and rock 
May Yahweh bless you and may he keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine. So there are some words that are missing in it because, you know, the deterioration of it and falling apart and whatnot. But then this is, this is, a, this is scroll number two, and this one has much more. May be blessed by Yahweh, the warrior and helper and the rebuker of evil. May he bless you, Yahweh. Keep you, make shine Yahweh his face upon you and grant you peace. So they were able to translate that from this picture. Isn't that amazing? Right? It's pretty cool. So uh, this is, we hear this. This is what you hear at the end of the church service. And it's been something that God's people have engraved in silver, have kept with them, and is a wonderful blessing and reminder. This connects you to these people, uh, the word of God. You know, uh, God as, as one who blesses his people and, and helps them. So um, I, I appreciate you um, giving me this time to talk about this. Um, but I do think it's important when we talk about certain things and, and archaeological significance, how archaeology is always proving the Bible to be accurate, true, and right. It does not work against us. It's a blessing. That's a good thing to keep looking. So uh, there you go. Uh, so start studying up on ancient Hebrew and uh, see, because I can't, I can, I can read this, but this, I, the, if I would have seen this, I would have said, that's chicken scratch. That looks like my son's writing. <laughs> um, but uh, any, other, any other thoughts or questions on that? It's really, really neat, I, I think. Yeah, but don't ask me. Uh, you have to ask. Uh, you have to ask my mom. She gave it to us this year in our stockings, and she. We opened up our stockings on Christmas, and uh, I saw it, and and my mom was like, "Okay, now I want to tell you the story about this." I was like, "I know the story. I know the story. Let me let me tell it. Let me say it." <laughs> and she didn't know. She just. Uh, she was just going to tell it. I, do you remember what she said? I don't remember what she said. I was so excited that I knew the story. And uh, she was like, yeah, I got this from Israel, you know, because she went over there, you know, a couple years ago. And, and I saw this and this is what it is. She didn't know the story of Gabby Barkai, Dr. Barkai, uh, and the annoying kid who made the greatest discovery of the scriptures in the history of archaeology. Just a kid. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Uh, it's great. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you can, I can read a little bit of it, of course, um, but the translating it would definitely not be as good. Uh, if you look at page, um, if you look at this page, one thing I will point out for you uh, so that you can, you can kind of see. One thing on this page, it's page, it has page one of two at Birkat Kohanim 22. So this is scroll number 22. And, and this, see how it's highlighted right here? This section right here, that's what's right here. Okay, and if you go, so one, two, three, four, five, six. So six from the top right here, that's, that's Yahweh in Hebrew. So that, that first letter, remember you read from right to left. And so this, this Yod here, Yahweh. Um, and then that, that last letter is just a, an article. Um, but go down six, right to left, that 
that little tick at the top and then that R looking thing with another dot under it and then another R, uh, that is Yahweh. That's his name. That's called, you count it, you see four letters there, okay? Y-H-W-H. That's called the Tetragrammaton, the four letters that make up God's name, Yahweh. What's interesting here, too, is that in Hebrew, they didn't put any of the vowels. It's all consonants. So then you, you sort of fill it in as, as you do. Um, this is also still also how they look uh, and do um, New Testament archaeological studies and, and what we call um, textual criticism, textual analysis, where they find even you know, early New Testament scripture passages that when they, you know, we just, we don't have a, a Bible from, you know, the original scrolls of the word of God, the Bible. We don't have the original scrolls, but we have fragments and we have scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls is one of the most important archaeological finds as well. That dates to 200 BC. Uh, this is 400 years older than that, 600 BC. Um, that, that show us the, the preservation of God's word throughout all the generations, how important they took it. Some parts of the New Testament, the earliest parts, all we have are, are pieces that are like this big of certain books, the you know, oldest copies that we have of it. And remember, paper was so important there too that a lot of times they would, they would take um, a parchment and um, they would clean off or they would write over it and some, we have found some scriptures, you know, on some of those parchments that have other things written on top of it. Another interesting note here, too, for us, um, uh, our bulletins, we have bulletins and whatnot. Some of our earliest copies of the New Testament come from orders of service that the churches, they would have a lectionary. We're talking second and third century here. They, they had a lectionary of the lessons that the church heard throughout the year. So it wasn't a complete Bible. It was just certain lessons. And we have found those. And those are a witness and a testament to the scriptures also. That our hymnal, right? Our hymnal, right? These are, these are the ways that the, the, the scriptures and their authenticity has been handed on and discovered by archaeologists. The early church had hymnals and an order of a service. So if you can imagine in a thousand years, someone finding one of our bulletins or our hymnals, and, and that would be a witness for them. You know, so I bring that up because we need to take seriously our role in passing down the scriptures so that if the Lord doesn't return for another 2,000 or 3,000 years, imagine... Our church and the role we play in, in granting future generations um, the assurance of the historical importance and significance of God's word. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to think about. Um, and, and the fact that God's people, you know, they, they weren't, maybe they weren't thinking about it, but to them it was so important that they engraved it on silver, right? How much is silver an ounce right now? Does anybody know? I don't know. Um, but something that was so very valuable to them and they etched God's word on it and they kept it. That would be like, I don't know, 
go on your Porsche. Who, who got the new Porsche in here? Go in there. <laughs> let, me, let me take my key and etch a number six on the back of your Porsche. Yeah, sound good? <laughs> I wouldn't do it to a pickup because those are, you know, that would be, that would, that would be, that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. Our Lord and Savior, F-150. Um, super duty, yeah. But just to, to contemplate and to think about that, because we're a throwaway society. And um, uh, just, you know, and we're very, I am, maybe I'm just speaking to my own, but I don't think I'm too far off the course. I don't think I'm too weird. Um, that uh, we're a throwaway society and we have a very narrow focus. And to think of the things that we're benefiting from now and to think we could, we could also help in that preservation of that for, for many years to come is, is pretty, pretty great and important. Yeah, Rick. Where does the 600 BC, where does that fit in the history? Like Exodus was... Right, yeah. So th this would have been, so like um, the last books of the New Testament were about 400 BC. The last prophets, I'm sorry. So the last prophets, the Old Testament, um, Malachi, you know, the end of, of the, New Test, uh, the Old Testament there, uh, as they get into this, um, this, was, while there were, this was written while there were still prophets preaching and speaking. So it could have been, um, you know, uh, who would have been 600 AD? I'd, I'd have to look. But you're talking, Micah. yeah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, a lot of these, these guys who are later prophets who are still yet to come. They, you know, they even themselves, the prophets themselves could have oversaw the writing of this, on, this engraving in silver. If you have a Lutheran study Bible, you can look at, at, I'm sure they have a timeline of the prophets, but they also have it at the beginning of each Old Testament book, its date when it took place. Um, what does it say Isaiah was? Um, Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway. Um, Micah was like 656 to 700. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. So a lot of these later prophets uh, that, that happened, and you know, this works into epiphany as well. This, like I mentioned, I think last Sunday, I think I talked about this a little bit. This, this idea that Micah came so late and Micah is the one who, who said, from Bethlehem will come a, a king, the star, you know, what, what the wise men. The wise men did not have Micah because their Old Testament was more around the time of Daniel, right, in the, three, in the book of Daniel. So they didn't have the later prophets. That's why they had to go to Jerusalem to say, where is the king born? And why King Herod even says, well, we need to go look at the Bible. And the scribes, they said, oh, yeah, that's a later book. It's in Micah who says it's in Bethlehem. So all of these things really sort of fit together and piece together. So if somebody finds my, my Old Testament prophet dates are not as good as they should be. Um, Isaiah but, was 681. Yeah, okay. I knew Isaiah was somewhere around there. Um, so this would have been, Isaiah, this would have only been, of course, 80 years after Isaiah then. And of course, 600 BC is an estimate. At first, they thought it was older than that. They thought maybe even seven to eight. But then uh, as they did more digging and examined it more, they, they put it more at about 600. Uh, very good question, though. Is there anything else to that question or was that about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. They say which would 
it has the name of Yahweh on it, and if they're still dating it to make to validate it, but it said it would prove the Israelites at that time were literate when they entered the Holy mm-hmm. Land, etc. Yeah. Um, so that that would take back the time period showing that they were the proven Israelite literacy by several centuries. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting too. It, it looks like it needed to be proved. It's like a two centimeter by two centimeter folded lead curse tablet. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't oh. hear about that. Oh, there you go. It's moving on back. Well, yeah, let's. We should have curse tablets, I think. But you can't. You can't. Don't. Uh, don't. Don't. I don't want to find my name on any curse tablet. Well, you know, it, it is interesting because that comes up today in our Old Testament reading about Balak and Balaam, right? And this is in the Book of Numbers as well. That um, Balak, the king, he there was a seer, Balaam, and this seer was like a wise man uh, uh, who dealt with things of spiritual nature. He was wise. He knew, he, he had wisdom according to the elements and things like that, a scientist, if you might want to call him that, but also that of spiritual. And King Balak, I almost preached on this, King Balak went to the seer and he said, the Israelites, the people of Yahweh, are, they're, they're beating people, they're conquering lands, and they're coming towards us. I want you to curse the Israelites. And Balaam was kind of like, eh. How much money you got? And uh, then Balaam says, uh, um, the story uh, is God comes to him and, and God, you know, God says, no, you can't curse my people because they are blessed. They have this blessing from God, from numbers. And so Balaam is then like, well, what do you want me to do? And God says, well, go ahead, go with him, go with the king. And so Balaam, this is then the story of Balaam's ass, right? Not his derriere, but his donkey, right? And that's why I have this coffee, coffee cup. It works well. This is from the, the bad donkey coffee company. Uh, <laughs> but I always loved it as a kid because, you know, the story is, is Balaam's ass. You always got to say ass as a kid in Sunday school and nobody could do anything to you about it. And, uh, and um, Balaam is riding his donkey and the angel of the Lord. Y'all know this story? The angel of the Lord appears in front of the donkey, but Balaam doesn't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey sees him. And the donkey does what? Well, first, the donkey is like, no, that angel's telling me not to go. And he starts to turn. And Balaam, you know, it's like he's driving a Porsche. He's like, come on, you stupid thing. You know, his car is breaking down on him. And he's like, let's go. You know, and the donkey is, he's like turning away. And Balaam's like, you know, stupid car, you know. and, And then he brings it back on, and then the donkey, it says it rubs his leg against a wall as he's going. And Balaam is like, ah, my leg, you know, and then, and then Balaam gets off his donkey. He starts beating it and kicking it, and the donkey says, what are you doing? And Balaam's like, but remember, Balaam is very familiar with spiritual things. And so a donkey talking to him, he isn't like, what the world, you know, he's not, he's not surprised. He's like, oh, well, yeah, you can talk, right? I mean, the serpent talked to Adam and Eve. And, and so he's like, what are you doing? You know, and the donkey says, hey, I've served you faithful for 100,000 miles. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm stopping here right now because there's an angel of the Lord in front of us who's going to kill you if I go any further. I'm protecting you. And so Balaam is like, oh, okay. And then, and then I think Balaam sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel says, yeah, go ahead and go with Balak who was a, a, um, a pagan king, he says, go with Balak, but only say what I tell you to say. 
So Balak and Balaam, they get to this area. He gives them all this money and he says, all right, now curse the Israelites. And Balaam stands up and says, these people are blessed. You will not defeat them. They will win. And Balaam's like, Balak, the king, is like, ah, no, I paid you to curse these people and you're blessing them. And he says, I can only say what God the Lord gives me to say. And these are blessed people. And it's that, that blessing that, that comes forward. So um, why were we talking about this? Um, but it is, it is this, yeah, yeah, because it's in the Old Testament reading, right? And thank you. And Micah, the reading to, for Old Testament reading today says, God says to his people, because the people are asking God and complaining against him. They're saying, God, you are mistreating us. We don't deserve this. And God comes back and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you have an indictment against me. You're not going to put me on trial. You people, what do you have to complain about to me? Do you remember what happened with Balaam and Balak? He was a pagan king and they were going to curse you. But I blessed you instead. He says, from Shittim to Gilgal, God says, in Shittim to Gilgal is that whole episode of when Israel goes across the Jordan and in to, into the promised land. And God says, look at all I did for you. And, and, and what it means is I used all these bad things and I turned them into good for you. I turned everything, everything bad that happens to you I turn it into good for you. So yeah, you go ahead. Tell me what you have to complain about. I mean, it's, it's pretty humbling. And so this is why we have that Old Testament reading today when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those who mourn, right? That Jesus says exactly what, what God said to his people in the book of Micah. Everything that you suffer for my name I'm going to use it for your good. It looks bad now, but I'm going to use it for your good. So you can remember Balaam, right? Riding his donkey. His donkey's breaking down. He thinks this is the worst thing in the world. And God says, well, actually, I'm saving your life. And I'm going to use you to bless my people. So it's very appropriate. So um, this is a good thing. Uh, and, you know, the fact that we have Old Testament readings and that we have them, you know, we, we have them in our, our bulletins. We have them in our hymnals, you know, and we pass it on down. The fact that we continue to use the lectionary shows that we are following in a long line of God's people that find these Bible passages very valuable and, and, and beneficial for us. So uh, any other thoughts or questions on that? Don, don't say ass. <laughs> A cursed tablet is probably, I'm going to guess, I don't know, but go ahead and look it up. A cursed tablet is probably something like what Balak wanted Balaam to use to curse his people. So it might be a tablet that has, instead of a blessing written on it like this, but a curse written on it. That's what my guess would be. But you got to be careful when you Google stuff yeah, like no, this. No, that'll be your homework.
You see, you see, y'all ask so many questions and all this stuff. We don't have time to get into our lesson, um, but you know. As we get into and dovetail into apologetics, archaeology is a big part of apologetics and giving a defense for what we believe. And so when we find things like um, a cursed tablet, which was intended to be something negative about the Bible, about Christians, it actually ends up proving that Christians existed and, and did something. We have, yeah, go ahead. Mm. There it is. So, yeah, this is what, Abra what God did with Abraham when he cut the covenant with Abraham. When you cut a covenant, it's like signing a legal document. And in the legal document, generally, you have written down what will happen if you break this agreement. And so what God did with Abraham, they would cut a covenant that God said to Abraham, here's the agreement. You will be my people. I will be your savior. And to sign this document so that, it's, so that it is understood that this is, this is legal and binding, what they would do is they would take an animal and they would cut it in half. And that's a valuable thing, right? So let's say, uh, I don't know why everything goes back to cars, but anyway. So let's say, Don, uh, you and I, we're going um, to build a garage right? And, and I'm the builder and, and, and you're, you're, you're coming into an agreement with you that, that you say, you know, you're going to build this garage and I'm going to pay you, you know, $200. And I say, okay, that sounds good. How do we ratify this, this agreement? Well, we're going to take a, a pickup truck and we're going to cut it in half. And then we say, whoever breaks this covenant, this agreement, that's what's going to happen to you. And so we'd cut the truck in half, and then you and I would walk through the two parts split in half, and that's our signing the document. That's our agreement. So God does this with Abraham in Genesis. God tells Abraham, you know, I'm going to save you. I'm going to be your savior. You're going to have, you know, all these, all these children, right? Father Abraham. And then God, they take, God takes animals. He cuts them in half. But Abraham is sleeping when all this happens. God comes to him and, and has this agreement. God says, I'm going to make an agreement with you. What's interesting is that God is the only one who walks through them. So God says, if I don't hold to my, my covenant with you, let this happen to me. So all of the, the, the assurance and the promise of God's salvation and sending a savior, God makes this agreement, but it's a one-sided agreement. And that's protecting us, right? What if we had a part to do with this agreement of being God's people, walking in his ways and following his statutes? That would not have been a good thing if God had made Abraham come to an agreement. If God says, yep, we're happy. Abraham, are you going to be my people? Well, yeah, God, I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'll be, yeah, let's have this agreement. And God walks through saying that he will provide everything they need. Abraham walks through saying, we'll be faithful. We'll follow your laws and rules, God. I mean, and then Abraham walks through, we'd be in trouble. 
Because and that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we call it the gospel. It's good news. Is that even though we have, that God, he takes the onus on him. He's the one, it's, it's a one-sided covenant, but it's a covenant nonetheless. And God says, I will walk through. I will be responsible for you. I will make sure everything happens according to how it should. I hold myself responsible for your salvation. It's a very good question. Um, and uh, that's, that's the gospel in the Old Testament. It's a very important and influential story in the Old Testament. And what Abraham, one of the reasons Abraham's story is well known and very popular. God cut a covenant with Abraham. So that's why it's called cutting a covenant. Because you cut something valuable, you walk between it. Let this happen to the one who breaks the covenant. Does that answer your question? Probably a lot longer than what you wanted. But it's a very heavy and good question about, and, and I'm glad you, you looked this up. It's a legal document. If we break the agreement, let us be cursed. Quickly, listen to the wording on the stone already. It says, cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> didn't get it you might be cursed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's how that's how Hebrew um, that's how Hebrew gives um, boom to the word, right? We say things like that was super, right? Hebrew would say that's good good good. Yes. And and so why in the in in the creation account it says God saw everything and he said that it was good. In the Hebrew when it's God saw everything and said it was very good. It was good, good. So then the other side, if you want it to be extra bad, you say bad, bad. You are bad, bad. Um, but good question. Thank you for looking that up. Um, but it has, it, is, it has its anchor in the Old Testament and this agreement between God and Abraham. And God, God holds himself. He says, this, I, will, I will uphold this contract. This is my contract with my people. I will be the one responsible for it. And he, you know, he in the end, he holds himself accountable for our breaking the contract. He's the one who is cursed. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's the one who's, you know, who, who dies. He takes the curse of the break of the contract on himself and we get, we get the benefit of it. So God sets everything up uh, so that uh, he gets the worst and we get the best. That's the gospel, in a sense. Curse tablet. Could be. Uh, it could be that uh, I'd have to, I'll have to, I'm doing all this from memory, um, but it may have been that God was, it may have been a, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, once you have that agreement, there is no, no breaking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they took it seriously. Uh, and this is, you know, and, and even these contracts, but even back then, what, what I wanted to mention, what I first thought a cursed tablet was, but uh, the reason why it, it sounded interesting, or I mentioned it, what I thought it meant, is because we have his, historians who are, secular. They're Roman historians, even Jewish historians like Josephus, 
We have Roman historians like Suetonius, and those names are going to come up in this. This is why archaeology is, is a, a apologetics and defending the faith, is they have governors and people who were writing to the Roman government saying, what do we do with these Christians? They don't, they don't claim Caesar is their God, but they also, they don't, they aren't bad people. They aren't causing crimes. They aren't break, you know, they aren't vandals. They're not doing bad stuff. Um, but we do have a problem with them that they don't claim Caesar to be God or a God. And so these governors are writing to Rome and they're saying, what do we do with these Christians? And then they give an articulation of what Christians believe. So what was intended to kind of be a, a spite of Christians, the enemies of Christianity, actually now for history is proving their existence. And what better way of proving the existence of the Christian church than the enemies themselves? Because now we can say, well, we didn't make it up. Look, here's the source uh, that shows that this is also then when Christians in these, some of these same early writings, do you remember what the Christians were accused of? Why they were suspicious of the Christians? What did the Christians do? They said they're cannibals. And they also said they're incestuous. Right? What if our church is accused of being cannibalistic and incestuous? We would be just like the early Christian church. They were cannibals. Why? They believed in the real presence, the body and blood of Christ. And the enemies of the church knew it. But the incest, the incest thing, you know, this is uh, the, the family that, that that was happening in. Uh, the, the last name, it was the Greek version of Arkansas. So that's where the state of Arkansas, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it was because they called each other brother and sister. And even husbands and wives would call each other brother and sister. And then brothers and sisters would kiss right in the church, the kiss of peace. And they said, they are backwards hillbillies from Arkansas. <laughs> no offense. Oh, Misty's not here. I can't say Oklahoma, right? Who else is from? Anybody else from Oklahoma? Y'all are from, yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't say anything. And she just pointed at me and I'm like, oh. Absolutely. I'm a deep gimchi, right? Deep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep barachai, right? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are a witness to your faithfulness, that even from, from the foundations of the world, even before time began, you had seen fit to offer your son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for us. To, to forgive us all our sins. We thank you for that. We also thank you for the repeated witnesses in archaeology and textual uh, sciences um, that are a witness outside of us. We do thank you for the peace that we have in our own hearts. We thank you for uh, the testimony that is outside of us. Uh, that points to the truth of the gospel uh, that you yourself offered your son Jesus to assure us that we may have that inner peace. Grant us always to treasure and joy in this, that the witness and the testimony of the gospel is history itself. May we, dear Heavenly Father, rejoice and be glad in this, for this is the day that you have made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.